welcome to Over the Edge Podcast with Paige Ray. I am Paige. And this is a weekly chat about pushing creative boundaries, making big moves without knowing all of the answers, and jumping off a cliff to our dreams while figuring out how to build a plane on the way down. So find your favorite chair, grab your coffee, and get ready to live the dream without losing your mind. Let's go over the edge together, friends. Welcome to Over the Edge Podcast. Today, we have such a special guest. I'm so excited to introduce you to Jess Grippo. Jess is a dancer and performing artist, creative coach, and author of Dance With This Book, and also founder of Dance Again. Making dance videos alone in her room was how she got back into dance a little over 10 years ago, and while that habit continues, she's also developed a teacher training program to guide others in starting their own dance movements. Her work has been featured in TEDx NYU, Lincoln Center's Dance on Camera Festival, the New York Comedy Club, Vulture Magazine, and the Vagina Monologues opening act, and more. She has been doing incredible work, so let's get excited to talk to Jess Grippo. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paige. It's so great to be here. I have I have a million questions, but the thing that I really actually let's start with tell us a little bit more about yourself and tell us what brought you to dance to begin with just over the course of your life. Well, I think over the course of my life, starting out as a little girl, I was drawn to dance and movement and free expression. Like I think so many of us are when we're young and we don't have an adult filter in our head yet uh, telling us that we look dumb or that we shouldn't do that or whatever might come later (laughs) down the road. Um, And I took dance classes as a kid, like like a lot of kids do. Um, But what happened was it quickly became this very like serious, technical, got to do it perfect. It became this like platform for like a form of perfectionism and a way to, you know, I don't know, maybe control life that felt very out of control in other aspects. And um, I got really serious about ballet. I was doing classical ballet training up until I was 19 years old which was when I decided to quit and go to quote unquote regular college and study psychology, which I think is what most people do when they don't know what they wanna do with their lives. Um, And I uh, (laughs) went down that liberal arts path and uh, left dance behind. And so for me, it was like, it was this childhood passion, but very serious passion that was also very scarring for me in many ways. And Later, in my late 20s, after having lived life and started a career as a as a holistic health coach and, you know, I I was I was working with people, I was doing things that I thought, you know, I wanted to do by helping people. But I started to feel like this part of me was missing and this dance like whisper kept creeping back to me. And I was like, ah, I'm scared. (laughs) I don't want to go back to class. Like, what does that even look like? I'm going to feel like a total weirdo if I step foot into any dance class. So I didn't, at the time I started finding a way to to dance on my own, like in my own apartment, figuring out what my personal expression was like, why I wanted to dance, what, you know, I didn't really call it improv at the time, but I would just put on music and like find my own movement, you know, mm-hmm. Um, sometimes choreograph, but it was the total opposite of what dance was for me when I was younger. That personal mission of reviving dance in my life as a way that fulfilled me and I think helped heal a lot of stuff within me. Um, then later I started 
bringing that into the work that I did with people and leading classes and workshops. And it's developed into the Dance Again Company now, uh, which is both an online community and space and a local in-person studio where, where adults can come who want to literally dance again um, at a later part of their life when they might be feeling intimidated to just go to any random class that exists. I, okay, so this is a really big thing because so I feel like also much like in writing the aspect that gra- that we have to be perfect with grammar in order to be good writers, I feel like that slows a lot of people down. I feel like it's the same with dance. People think if I go into a dance class and I look silly or I've never danced before or I'm or I want to dance again, but it's been you know a decade or two and I you know what am I, I what am I gonna look like? I think that holds so many people back too. So tell us a little bit about dance again and how do we how do people get into class and like what what are people like coming into class and how do you how do you move them through any emotions that like feel like limiting or like are or holding them back from feeling free in their movement? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it starts before they even step into the studio. So I've really tried to make it a point on our website and all of the class descriptions to be as as clear and descriptive as possible. And this is where the writer, you mentioned writing, and like I totally <laughs> agree that like, you know, our fear of like, ah, can I get this grammar right stops us from just creative writing and letting it flow. And as someone who also has done writing professionally in the copywriting world, um, I kind of tie those two passions together with dance and copywriting, where it's like, I take care with how we describe the classes because I sometimes like part of what's intimidating is you don't know what to expect and it could say jazz class or ballet class beginner but like is it really beginner I don't know in New York City a lot of the quote beginner classes like don't feel like beginner classes at all (laughs) no we try to use images and videos to show like hey here are some of the people who take our classes like this is a vibe like this is what you can expect so I think it it starts and and by by stating our mission and letting people know that hey like we're here to be this non-intimidating space this is this is what you can expect so um it starts there and then what we do have is kind of an intermediary so if someone is like you know wants to get into the studio but maybe still feels intimidated or maybe like they're not local and they don't have a class yet that they know of or can find or maybe they'll create it down the road but um they can do any of our online classes. We have an online membership where there's a whole library of classes you can take on demand, but also you can drop, we stream our classes on Zoom. So you can kind of get a feel from the comfort of your home. Um, you can take some of our at home, you know, like ease into dance courses and stuff like that. So it, we try to like create that bridge for people so that you can, you know, feel as confident as possible. And then of course, when it comes to stepping in the studio, there's sometimes no way to avoid that, like, ah, the butterfly feeling of like, Mm -hmm. am I really doing this? Um, And in that sense, you know, all of our teachers, we aim to be as welcoming as possible and to just, you know, like really, it's beyond just like the dance style and the technique or the whatever you're learning, but the, what's the word I'm looking for, the compassion that you give and the, you know, the warmth and the like being human, I think is really important as well. 
I love that because you're speaking to something that I think is so important for creativity. Even when you're talking about just the descriptions that you use of the classes before people even come in to be, to, to be being aware of kind of shaking off the default and remembering what humans need first, because it's easy to slip into like, Oh, we'll call it jazz intermediate. We'll call it ballet beginner. And then going through and asking ourselves, well, what does this mean to the person receiving it? What does this mean? You know, how does this speak to them in the the worries that they're having or anything that might be holding them back. And I think that's such a creative act to be willing to say, what if we reshape this a little bit to make sure it's speaking to the people we want to speak it, we want it to speak to. And that is such a, that's such a cool act of creativity to be willing to not just shake off the default, but identify it to begin with, because that alone can be really, really hard. But I love that people can come in and find their own movement that is so powerful and letting people and like making a space where people can know like I can come in and be imperfect at this right from the beginning. Um how do how do you how do people move through that imperfection or just like do you see people reconceptualizing it in their head like maybe it's not so bad that I'm not awesome at this after it's been a decade or something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's different for everyone, clearly. I do think that there can be a considerable considerable amount of self-judgment that comes up, like no matter what kind of environment you're setting up for people, no matter how much you try to make it feel accessible, the reality is we all have our own histories with dance or with whatever it is creatively. And I think that those, those things can certainly come into play and we can be hard on ourselves and sometimes we can judge ourselves, but what I try to remind people is that like those voices in your head, like they, they will, volume will go down. They, they don't (laughs) have to be so loud and they might try to like come back with a vengeance in the beginning. But what's important is like the showing up for yourself and the having compassion with yourself and the, and the also, you know, seeing other students and practicing non-judgment with them and one of the things like when we start a new series i always like to ask people like okay like let's like put on our our invisible glasses of compassion and this goes both for when you see yourself in the mirror but also when you see each other we're setting up this environment where you know we're looking at each other with eyes of like love and appreciation you know and like i think that can go a long way Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Invisible glasses of compassion. (laughs) There's, there's so much to be said for if we could just wear those all of the time. And, and I think that also comes back to like, I think that we actually default to compassion in a lot of ways, just as humans, right? Because when we go into a dance class and we haven't been in a dance class in 10 years, it's unlikely that most of us are sitting there looking at others and judging them for what they can or can't do, right? Um, We're giving them compassion. So to just give ourselves that compassion back and what, what you were saying, which is just like the volume will go down, like we can turn the volume down or it will just go down over time. Knowing that I feel like is must just be so much much peace of mind. Definitely. So something that's at the top of my mind today is I've been thinking a lot about the forms that creativity takes for us. And 
often when I, when I talk about creativity, I'm thinking like um like something that you can hold in your hand, like a painting or for me a photograph. Or you know, I define creativity in in a bunch of different ways, right? If you're creative in a data spreadsheet, I think that's creative. Um, but something that that uh, is really top of mind is that. We often categorize creativity as something that's that starts in our mind and gets delivered through our hands into into some other physical form. But actually, creativity can be movement, right? And so that's at the top of my mind today is movement is creativity, dance is creativity. And I know that's a really like vague sort of more of a description than a question, but what do you think of that? What do you think about that in terms of, you know, movement, movement is the creativity, movement is the end product? Yeah, oh, this is a good topic. I love it. Um, And I think about this a lot as someone who is a dancer or one of, you know, one of my creative passions is dance. And it, it's funny because it always felt like unfair to me as a dancer that like, man, like I can go do a dance, but like, no, it, it's not captured automatically. It's not like if you paint, it's automatically on a canvas, you know, like you have mm-hmm. it, right? There is like an <laughs> impermanence to the art form. Mm. But I do, like, I, I think with creativity, the, the way I see it is like, there are different, there's different uh, forms, not just meaning like dance or writing or photography or whatever, but um, there's the expressive form of creativity, which is really about, you know, that raw process of taking what's in you and just letting it out. And I think across any genre, right, that that comes in, it's like, you know, a dancer is warming up or they're doing improvisation and they're just letting whatever come out of their bodies, right? Or writers are doing their morning pages or whoever you do your free writing practice, right? And you just don't worry about the product. You kind of tap into the moment and the process. So I think it's like, there's like the more process oriented, raw, expressive type of creativity, right? Which is still creativity because you're exercising your ability to take this moment of nothingness and do something unique with it, right? And like put your mark on it. And then I think there's like the other facet that is more of creating with an, doesn't even have to be an end goal in mind because sometimes you're surprised by the outcome, but I think creating with the intention of like, a product of like a producing, right? There's like expressing and then there's producing. And like, I think with even with movement, there's a way to have it be a product when you make a dance video um, that I don't know if that's the, or, you know, or a theater based performance, right? Where you have an audience there watching and witnessing the process, right? And there's some sort of culmination that you have come to at that moment. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Like, I feel like I don't I don't like binaries necessarily, but and there's probably a wide, you know, continuum of those two flavors. But I feel like there's like they're almost like different things, but still within that umbrella of creativity. Okay, I love this is so interesting because then it kind of begs the question is if I don't have 
you know, that and if my if my choreography isn't recorded for a music video or it's not, you know, if it doesn't make it past what what I choreographed for this class, you know, if if it doesn't live on, I guess is a good way of putting it. If if what I created doesn't live on, did I make art? Right. It's if it's ephemeral and something that can kind of like dissolve outside the room, then, you know, and of course, my answer is, of course, that's art. So I guess it's more the question of like, and. It does does that you know am I letting it escape me what I've done just because it's something that has been contained in one space rather than something that's going to live on in a wall or in a in a video or something like that and does that make sense right I feel yeah. like it it kind of makes us you know we think that to be an artist or to be a creative we need to make something that continues to live in in some in some form but what about the things that we make that people aren't going to see or that we're making just for us in a specific space that or something that just isn't gonna it's we're you know we're moving as we need to in class today um which will look different than tomorrow so maybe that choreography doesn't continue or maybe it's not choreography and maybe we're just moving as it feels right you know how do we wrap a, a definition around that in terms of art or artist does that make sense yeah. yes it totally does and it's like, and I almost feel like that, the, the part that no one sees, you know, that part of just being in the moment and doing things that are not recorded or documented or turned into something, I feel like those are the moments that actually make us feel like artists, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you can tap into the flow, when you're in the pocket, when you're just doing your thing and mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, you know, like it's yes. such a good feeling. And I think so often because of our production focused society and capitalism, mm -hmm. we are like trained in our brain to focus on the product part of creativity, which makes us like bypass that other part sometimes, right? Like we get, I, you know, like I know for me too, like I, I can get into that editing mode of like, oh, I'm writing something cool. Well, what is this going to be? Am I going to share it in a post? Am I going to like turn it into this? You know, like, <laughs> we can, like go down that direction rather than just being patient with ourselves and like letting that, letting that creative uh, energy just flow through us. And then later we can get into editing mode and we can, you know, turn it into something if we want to. But like, but it's really, I think though, like you, you said it so well, like those moments where like, where it's not documented, where no one sees, like those are, those are really, that's art too. That might be more art than the other stuff in a way. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. I think uh, the way that you just broke it down right there is one of the most valuable things that I think any of us can hear today that, because it, I think that even speaks back to like bringing people into a class when they're scared of being an imper doing imperfect movement, right? It, that I feel like is there's a parallel there, right? When you go into class knowing I'm going to do this really well, I'm going to do this perfectly. Um, that's not a bad thing, but that's very different than I haven't danced in 10 years and now I'm going to go into a class and I'm worried and I'm scared and I don't know what that movement's going to look like or feel like or if I'm going to even see any remnants of how I used to be. Um, and I think that's the same thing as, um, you know, uh, creating without the intention of putting it somewhere or showing it to somebody. And I think it's a lot of that same energy of, I, I don't know, sure, let's just try it and see what happens. And that feels oftentimes more like art than anything that we could hang on a wall or point to at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, totally. I love that. I love that. So that, and I feel like that's such a magical energy of, you know, there's the energy that you have when you sit down and you know what you're going to make and you know, you're going to make it well. And you, cause you've got the skills and you've been doing it for so long. Like there's this really cool energy of certainty that you can bring to your art, but the energy of uncertainty and the energy of what's the word, is it ephemeral or something that kind of like dissolves away after time, like the energy of imperfection and impermanence, I think can make such amazing art, right? And I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting thing because it it also kind of puts you, can put you in a space of like, you know, let's say you're in the studio and you choreograph something and you're like, wait, that's really amazing. You know, can you imagine also sitting down and painting something that's really beautiful and you're really proud of it. And then you just decide that you're going to paint over it because it's okay to let something be impermanent. (laughs) <laughs> that's I think yeah. that's an interesting Ooh. yeah and the impermanence it's such a you know I think with with like live like performing arts mm-hmm. too it even if you have a piece that's choreographed right and you have predictable steps or you know you you write up screenplay or you know like there's actors and they're going to be reading these words and we know what words they are mm-hmm. there's always that uncertainty with with live performance where it's like, well, how is it going to come out? And how is like the more present the performer or artist is, right? Mm -hmm. The more true and authentic it comes out, the more surprises can come through even the more predictable moments. And like that can never be duplicated. Like whoever is in that room on that night gets to see it. And like you can put it on video, but it's not the same. We all know that, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, there's this thing that happens, which I think, and maybe that's why, even though I feel like, sadly, you know, like live theater is like fading out in a way, or I don't even want to put that into the ether. I shouldn't say that, but it's like, you know, like in, in this mm-hmm. digital world and everything, it's like, but it's such a powerful form that we need to keep. Like, that's, there's nothing like being able to catch something in that moment. And, um, and it's really cool how you kind of tie that into the visual arts too, of like, yeah, just like, what if you just paint over something or what if you like, you know, like it's, cause it's so interesting with like the more visual arts, like things are so much more permanent in that mm-hmm. sense of like, here is a photograph, here is a painting. Yeah. Um, You know what that makes me think of is, do you remember in the, I think it was the early 2000s, Marina Abramovic did a performance art piece where she sat, I don't know if she was in, she was in a gallery. I don't know if it was the MoMA. It's it's fuzzy in my head because what I starkly remember is the whole point was for her to sit. She was in this like really incredible red dress. And the point was she was going to sit in a chair and be silent. And there's a table in front of her and people would just come sit at the other end of the table. And without saying anything, that was the performance, the energy essentially that would be exchanged. And, and I forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his name, but her, a former lover of hers that she hadn't spoken to. And I think at that point it had been decades came to the performance and sat in the chair. His name was Yuli. I think it was Yuli. And when she opened her eyes to see it was at the other end of the table because she would keep them closed until somebody was there, it was an overwhelming moment for not just them, but everybody in the room. And it's a really amazing thing to go back and watch footage of it and to see everybody's very visceral reaction to that moment. But 
as much as we can rewatch that, I cannot even imagine what it must have been like to be in the room for something so powerful because their 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 relationship was already pretty legendary, at least within the art community. And um that's so that's what I think of is because the whole point of a lot of her work is to be ephemeral, to not be something that um you go back and experience again, even though, you know, even if there's photo and video and all of that of it. And that is the thing that sticks out to me because that was not a planned moment. He showed up and it kind of shocked everybody, including her, including him. And it was just really such a beautiful thing that happened that really just lives inside the room it happened in, regardless of the video. And so that's what, anyway, that that makes me think of that. I, do you remember that piece? <laughs> I do. I remember that. I don't remember that particular story of it, though. So thank you for sharing. That's so cool. It's, it's really cool to go back and watch. And I just think like, oh, my God, being in the room must have been like, uh, so anyway, so I think, but that's a good, you know, what do we make when we don't intend on sharing it or keeping it? Um you know, then what can we really make? And I think that's where a lot of really amazing artwork comes. And then you make something amazing and then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, I kind of want to keep this. Do I, yeah. <laughs> what do I do now? Exactly. Uh, um, uh, can you talk a little bit about the feeling of movement and expression within your own experience? Like, what do you feel when you're expressing emotions or experience through movement or kind of what goes through your mind in those moments? Well, I would say the moments when I'm most present and most like in it, I'm not thinking. <laughs> and it it doesn't always happen that way because I'm human, like, right, like everyone. And I think um, I've learned to not put the expectation that I'm always going to feel in flow or totally connected. Like sometimes I do feel like I'm just going through the motions, but going through the motions is important that I keep, you know, keep the channel open, so to speak. Um, so it, it could, it could go a couple of ways. Like sometimes if, if I'm really, you know, like I'm, I'm improvising movement, I'm listening to a song, I'm letting it move me in a certain way. There's just kind of like on a good day, <laughs> there's like a, a rush of, of energy flowing through my body. Like I don't need to think because my body is, is the part of me that's leading the way. Um, sometimes emotions get stirred up. Sometimes I'll cry or sometimes I'll laugh or, you know, like I think, I think a lot can just come out that, that also is unexpected. Um, and then other times, like I do find myself in my head, right. And I'm moving or sometimes it's, it's really funny because I've taken like classes, even if they're an improv, mostly I think when they're more of like an improv type of class elsewhere and i'm just kind of moving and it's a day where like i'm not particularly like feeling the music or i'm not in my body as much but i end up coming up with all these ideas so sometimes i'm like moving my body but i'm like brainstorming a list of like the next thing i'm gonna write or oh my god i should totally do this at the next class that i teach or oh wow blah blah blah, blah. like ideas like so it's it's interesting like sometimes it's a total embodied present experience and other times it's just like it activates my mind in a way. And and I have read, there, there have been studies done about dance that say that the act of dancing, like it, it creates new neural pathways in our brains. So like it very well can create a new idea or a new way of thinking about things when we're, when we're actively moving our bodies in different ways. So wow. I find that 
Yeah. I think it's such a lovely way to kind of like going back to kind of what you were talking about to turn down the volume on our minds a little bit, especially when things get hectic to kind of move out of your mind and into your body can be such a powerful thing. I love that. Um, You mentioned writing. So let's talk a little bit about being a multi-passionate. Tell us, so actually tell us a little bit about what your multi-passions are. Sure. Well, dance is an obvious one. Um, (laughs) I think, um, so writing is another one, um, in my like personal creative flow. I like to write poetry. I like to write just like short nonfiction type of storytelling pieces. Um, I, uh, those I would say are like my two main, you know, creative buckets, but like within those, there's even multiple things too. Like, like I mentioned before, I've done copywriting professionally and I have, you know, I've both like choreographed and taught dance classes, but I've also done solo performance pieces in comedy clubs and on stages that kind of mix storytelling and dancing. Um, So I think there's kind of like variations even within the different genres of like oh yeah here's here's a variety of things um that that come out of these passions let's call them. i love that i and i because i think that's in so many of us I, I i feel like for marketing purposes we always kind of narrow ourselves down into that one passion but the reality of is the reality of it is most humans are multi-passionate about so many different things. Um, So tell us a little bit about how you make space for both, for all of those parts of you, all of the different parts of you that want to create in different ways. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'd love to say that I have like dedicated time each week for all the different things. (laughs) Um, And I think the reality is like, I think it all comes in seasons. I like to think about my creative life in seasons. And sometimes, you know, um, there's a certain deadline with a client, like I'm doing a writing project with someone else, right? And that's going to take up a lot of my time and energy for a month, let's say. And other times I'm working on a show and like that is what's going to take up time. And other times there's more downtime and I can like write poetry while I'm you know, while I'm walking my dog or, you know, just like <laughs> sitting somewhere. Um, and so I think, it, yeah, there, there's kind of like, I personally find deadlines, which I like to call them lifelines, very <laughs> valuable, where it's like, if, if I have, if I commit to like, yes, I'm going to perform in this festival on this date, or yes, everyone, I'm going to teach this class series and we're going to end it with a mini performance or uh, whatever it might be, or like my newsletter. Like when I first, when I first got started with my own business, I was, um, I was doing more, I had morphed from holistic health coaching into creativity coaching. So it was really about like helping people get all of their passions, whatever it was, not just dance, but reviving it and, and integrating it into their lives. And one of the ways I started doing that, because I myself had been actively reviving dance in my life, as I was like, oh, maybe I, maybe it's time I start a blog. I had always wanted to start a blog, but I never knew. I was like, there's too many things I could write about. Like, what are people going to want to listen to me about? And then at this point, I was like, well, let me hold myself accountable. I'll, I, I did it on a Friday to start. And 
Oh, and I think I held a workshop on a Friday to start and I called it Creative Fridays. And the workshop was so impactful. It was the first time that I led a more creativity focused workshop rather than the health focused stuff that I had been doing. And I was like, hey, if you're looking to bring back a creative part of yourself, come join me, it's free, you know? And after that, I was like, wow, I love this. Let me, how else can I keep this going? Let me hold myself accountable. Creative Fridays, I'm gonna write a weekly blog. And I started doing that just about wherever I was at in my own process or what I was talking to others about. And that, I think, like having that deadline in my life every week, sometimes it would be midnight on Thursday and I would be writing it out. Other times by Monday, I would already know and I would have it drafted, but I knew that I had that deadline and it held me accountable to that particular way of writing and sharing my expression. And so, I really, again, like, and now like that, you know, I, I still have a week, I call it the weekly whim now. I still do a newsletter. I'm a lot more flexible with it. That's why I call it the whim in a way. It's <laughs> like, sometimes it's on a whim. Sometimes it's, you know, usually on Wednesdays, but it can vary, but that's no longer like the main focus that I'm, that I'm doing. Cause I have a lot of other projects and things going on. Oh, I love that. I, so the, okay. This brings up so many things in my mind because when I'm, when I'm asking you a question about being multi-passionate, I'm doing it from a space of like, how do we kind of forgive ourselves for being multiple multi-passionate, which really is more so in the context of like capitalism, which puts marketing on top of everything. Right. And that's the lens that I'm really asking, that I was really asking it through, but, but being multi-passionate is really something to be celebrated. The only reason we think we have to not be multi-passionate or forgive ourselves and find ways to accommodate the output of it really comes back to like the marketing of it all. And that doesn't, that doesn't really serve us as artists. What serves us as artists is giving ourselves space to be multi-passionate. And, and I, and I, and so I say all of that to note the difference between holding yourself accountable um, and showing up for yourself and your creativity versus feeling like, well, I'm a multi-passionate, so I have to make sure and hit my output levels um, Mm. in order to feel like I'm fully both of those things, right? Like you can be a writer when you're still in a season of dance and you can be a dancer when you're still in a season of more writing. So anyway, my point is, is that um, I love the idea of like, without putting like, without putting a certain amount of pressure on it to look a certain way, you still hold yourself accountable to show up in that, those different forms of creativity. Yeah. I love that. Definitely. And I think I, I love what you said about space and how important that is. And I think like, especially when it, when it comes to like being creative professionally and, you know, I'm going to use like my copywriting business as an example where, you know, on there's, I, reading page on my website and that page is very specific to how I help people get their message across in a clear way and uh and I even have a a mini bio on that page that is tailored to my work as a copywriter right it's like that's important to have right because I am like for that facet of what I do professionally people want to know like oh can this person help me accomplish XYZ thing, like my new website or whatever it is, right? So it's like, but if that was the only 
part of the website that I had and that was all I did, I think my artist would feel stifled. But the reality is, is that I have other spaces, right? Um, whether it's Instagram, I have like the separate you can dance again.com website for the dance stuff. Um, and then I have like, you know, I actually, I started, I, I want to get more active with it, but I did start an anonymous Instagram account because I was like, I need just a space where I can just do whatever and not even, because now it's almost become like people are expecting me to do dance videos all the time. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know, what if I want to share a poem or what if I want to scribble or I, I don't know. So it's like, I think, I think it's important, like, yes, we, we can choose to be niche and to have certain things, right. That we're, that we're doing at certain times, but keeping that space open to be multifaceted, to let ourselves play. And depending on like what field you're in, like sometimes it can be a benefit to show your humanness and the fact that you do other things like, um, you know, like right now, like, copywriting it's it, it is part of my jessgrippo.com website and when you, you know it's it's not like you would look at that and some people would be like oh i, I this is too much but other people might be like oh i want someone who's creative i want someone who gets it because i'm also multi-passionate so it's like you'll find your if if you're you know if you share yourself in the ways that you that feel authentic to you oh i love that how do you stay in that kind of feeling of being authentic? Uh, or do you ever measure the difference between I'm being authentic with this versus I feel like I have to be a certain way in order to um, bring attention to another aspect? How do you stay in that kind of feeling of authenticity? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's always a practice. <laughs> and like with anything, I do better some days than others. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I think always just making it a point to be authentic. Like it's really hard for me to like pretend that I'm not something, you know, that I that I know that I am. So I think, you know, sometimes bringing it in with humor can be fun of like, you know, I don't know, bringing in a dance joke conversation, a client hire me for writing or like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I think yeah. it, it can kind of vary. It's like, um, but I, I also know if like, if I'm being too rigid with myself or something and it doesn't feel good, like it feels more constrictive when I'm trying to fit myself into mm. a certain box. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I notice that if I'm not being authentic or I'm, and I'm, I, I feel that rigidness and it feels, I, I worry more. I, I have more anxiety over it. And that's always an identifier for me is like, if I'm not feeling like I'm totally in some kind of authenticity or truth or something like that with whatever work I'm doing or whatever I'm using to get eyes on that work, if I start feeling anxious about it, then I know that I'm like, oh, something's off. <laughs> it's like, it comes back to like a specific feeling. Um, so you yeah. are also, so you run creative businesses. So let's talk a little bit about the business aspect as a creative. How do you approach the business side of being a creative? Hmm. Well, I think there's, there's so many, um, 
different facets of the business itself, um, you know, like the marketing and the sales part, or then like the nitty gritty details on the back end of like how you're tracking your expenses or whatnot. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I don't know, is there a part that you wanted to go into more deep with? I think like I could go in so many directions right now. So my brain all parts. Okay. That's a good question. So here's the thing that always comes up for me is I think, so when I switched into photography, this is, a, I think this is a good example of it. I love what I do for photography. I love working with small and medium-sized brands and I think it's so fun. And I really, um, I, I hone to create a specific creative process around those projects. And when my schedule gets full with them, I, I noticed there was a period of like two or three years where like I almost did not put down my camera for for like for more than a day. Like I was constantly moving and going, which is great. I'm really happy that I have the opportunity to do any to ever be that kind of busy. That's always fantastic. But I, I after a few years, I noticed like I haven't done any creative projects in a while that are just my own. When was the last time I went out and took photos just because I loved taking photos? Um, and I used to do that all the time when I started in photography. And granted, I had the time. Um, but also, there's I started feeling like I had less freedom around my own creativity or my own art the more I grew professionally, which I felt like was an interesting kind of balance. I don't know. What do you think? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, that illustrates it so well. And I can so relate. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, when, when a creative passion or outlet becomes a business, paying you professionally for it, it's, I, I think for me too, it, it was so easy to be so busy helping everyone else, like, you know, whether it's teaching dance classes, producing dance shows for my students, keeping the copywriting act on other people's websites and newsletters and emails and blogs. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, my stuff is falling by the wayside. Like when was the last time I just wrote for myself or when was the last time I took a dance class rather than taught it? And it's, it's I think it, and it still can sneak up on me sometimes. Like, where I catch myself in those patterns. And it's like, I, I think it's a constant like dance <laughs> between the bringing myself back to myself, bringing the creativity back and saying like, okay. And sometimes like, I don't know about you, like for me, like I would love, and I'm gonna, maybe I will, maybe I'll start up the habit again of morning pages. I don't know if you ever do morning. Oh, yeah. I suggest that practice of every day waking up right upon waking, just doing three pages of free writing. And um, when I do that, I know that it helps me. Like something gets released, vented out from me. Um, it up creatively and just mentally. Um, and because of, you know, various life circumstances happening, life being lifey and, you know, schedules <laughs> changing and taking care of other people and all this stuff. It's like, oh, wow, I can't do that as freely anymore. So it's like there there are like daily practices, maybe or weekly practices that I think can help bring myself back. But sometimes even just like I can clear out an afternoon in my schedule or a two hour chunk where I can go to a coffee shop and like, you know, turn off my email and just just free and just like let myself daydream a little bit and you know give like like you said that space like give my artist 
that space to just be like, even if like sometimes that happens once a week or once a month and like, it feels so good that it can, that it can last a bit longer. So it's like, Mm. how do we, how do we build in practices like that, that keep ourselves accountable? And actually the other thing that comes to mind is not doing it alone because I think it's also so easy, right? Like, especially when you're a business owner and you're a creative person personally, there's like this, I don't know, is it our generation or is it, what is it? It's like the solo mentality of like, I must carve space out. Even the way I was just talking about that. It's like, it's all about like what I'm doing myself every morning or going to a coffee shop by myself. But it's like, wait, but also I think when I'm thriving the most is when I'm part of a writing group that meets once a week, or I'm taking that dance class once a week. And I committed in my schedule, sometimes financially to show up to a place. (laughs) I, you know, I will do it. It's going to be much more likely that, that I do it rather than being in my own head and letting those excuses get in the way or whatever it is. (laughs) I, okay. I love that because it's back to that, um, imperfect, impermanent energy, but we're adding another plank. We're doing imperfect, impermanent, and in community, which is that powerful, magical energy that I feel like makes incredible, incredible things that move. Even if the thing isn't permanent, it moves us into a whole new state of being. Mm -hmm. And that might be the shift that we need in our energy and our mind and our body, whatever that looks like for whatever we need to move forward into. I love that. Jess, thank you so much. Is there, what do you have coming up? What are you working on right now? Um, Where can we find you? Yeah, well, you can always find me on the website slash websites. Um, The thing I'm most excited about at the moment is um, the Dance Again teacher training. So talk about like multi-passions coming together. This training, it's, it crosses over with personal growth and development that I've done with people from my health coaching days into the creativity coaching. Um, It combines the creative coaching around dance and how to take your unique experience with dance and shape it into a class or an offering for others. And it also combines the business side, which I've learned a lot about in the past like decade plus of doing these things (laughs) um, of how to turn it into a side business and something that, you know, you can make money from and share with other people and how to get your dance out there. So, um, I love, I love it. Cause it, it really, it's, it's fun for me because it gives me that platform to combine all these things, but it's also so beautiful to take people through that process of really creating, creating and sharing something that's unique to them and getting more local dance movements on the ground where, there are more options for adults who want to get back into dance to take class. So the teacher training is definitely up there as one of my favorites currently. I love that. And you can find all of that info at jessgrippo.com. That's J-E-S-S-G-R-I-P-P-O.com. And it's the same on Instagram. Find Jess on Instagram at jessgrippo as a username. So be sure to check all of that out. Again, thank you so much, Jess. This was an incredible conversation. Thank you, Paige. Thanks for having me and for your, you know, the the creative impulse that brought you to create this podcast and um, to ask these amazing (laughs) questions. And it's really great to be part of it.
Well, we're, I'm really glad that you were a part of it too. Thank you for joining me here today on Over the Edge podcast. Come back next week. And of course, like, subscribe, give me five stars. I would love that. Um, help a girl out because I am new to this podcasting thing and I could really use the support. Thank you guys so much for being here and I'll talk to you next week.